as we settle down to listen the word to the word of the Lord, um, let me uh, uh, just really talk to you this morning. I, I want to share with you a topic that has been a little bit difficult for me to figure out how to share with a congregation because it is not something that uh, some Presbyterians or even some Christians in our country are accustomed to do. It is precisely the idea of contemplation. Ah, no, we don't. We get up and we turn the TV on. We hate TV sometimes. I go for cartoons, Peppa the Pig. She listened to that. It's very revealing wisdom is there sometimes. <laughs> Children, I don't know if they get it or not, but I get it. Maybe I make it up. But we've been sharing. Yes. Okay, so I need a little bit more sound. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. Is that better? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's very good. Let's listen to him for the word of the Lord. Now, Jesus, in this passage, Jesus is still making his way. Those of you who are visiting here or have not been here for the last four weeks, this is our fifth uh, message on a series that we have called The Way, A Journey. And we have joined Jesus since chapter 9 of Luke as he looked over the hills towards Jerusalem. And the word says in Luke 9, 51, and before the time came for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely looked towards Jerusalem and made his way. This was obviously the last time that Jesus was going to be in Jerusalem. And as we have uh, uh, studied and read the chapters consequently or subsequent after that experience, we have discovered several things. But let me bring you to this moment where Jesus is walking from his last experience and he's going into or towards Jerusalem. But before he gets to Jerusalem, he meanders a little bit through other cities. And listen to and for the word of the Lord as I read from Luke Chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. The word of the Lord. And as we get closer to Jerusalem, accompanying Jesus and his disciples on his way to redemption and reconciliation, we have learned that life can be a miserable experience. It can be an awful experience if you're not aware that you are with the creator who is the way maker, who makes a way for you to experience the life that God has prepared for each one of us. We have learned that this creator has made his way around our sin, 
that this God has made his way around our rebellion, that this God full of mercy, full of forgiveness, has made his way around our sin and brokenness and has shed the blood of his son and basically invited us into the kingdom where we were supposed to be from the beginning. We have learned that the journey, our journey, our life, whether it be filled with thorns, whether it be filled with rocks, deserts, dark valleys or despair, God is with us in the journey. And we find ourselves at home in the journey because God is with us. We have also learned last week that in the journey, we find things that are impossible for us to do. But we have found that the way maker, our God, who is with us along the way, has made things that are impossible for people and told us they're that they are possible with God. That is what we have learned to this point. Today, I would like to briefly explore the reality the experience that Jesus performing practices, that as Jesus lived his life, he did perform practices. Jesus had some routines in life. Jesus had something that he would repeat behaviors that were repetitive because they were routine practices. Did you know that? Jesus performed some practices that allowed him to have a greater connection with God the Father. They're hidden jewels within the, the activities of Jesus. But we read that after Jesus had fed the, what the Bible calls 5,000 men, but we know there were women and children there, so there were a lot more, that when Jesus fed that crowd, he told his disciples, I need to get away. Maybe go to peace waters, peaceful waters. I need to get away. I need to get away. And the next scene we have in one of the Gospels is the disciples going across the Galilee lake. A storm happens, and they see a ghost. They think it's a ghost. And it is Jesus actually approaching them while Jesus is walking on water. Hello. So it seems to be that the practices that Jesus had, and this is my argument for today, Jesus performed some practices that led Jesus to have a closer fellowship with God, that led Jesus to have greater understanding and allowed Jesus to be the Jesus that we know. I'm going to leave you dwelling with that one for a little while. In our journey, in our paths, in our road, in our life, we have behaviors. All of us have had behaviors. Let me look very closely because if I have someone, you're developing behaviors. I'm looking at Taylor who graduated from high school and is going to college. And yeah, give it up for her. And, and, and she's now going to have to develop behaviors that are going to help her Get organized because the one key success, and she turned purple, the one key success in, in college is to get organized. Get organized. You've heard it, right? Yes, she has. Good. 
That's the one skill. If you get organized, you can do it all in there. So Jesus had behaviors, he had practices that he would do on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis that would allow him to experience a greater understanding, a greater revelation in his path of life. And my contention is, is if he did that, why shouldn't we learn some of those practices? Why shouldn't we practice some of those behaviors, some of those routines that if they allowed him to have a closer relationship with God the Father, why wouldn't they allow us also to have a closer relationship to God? And thus, the practices will transfer and will yield understanding, will yield insights, will bring answers to the questions in our lives. Do you think so? Jesus practiced disciplines like prayer. Remember? He would hide and pray. Jesus also did practices of solitude. Oh, he had to get away from the crowd we read. So he needed to be alone. Jesus also practiced eating with sinners. Is that a spiritual discipline? I will contest. Yes. And hanging around with those who are not part of the household. He was criticized by the self-righteous people. Jesus also studied Scripture. We read it when he went in chapter 4 of Luke. He goes, as it was a custom for him to read Scripture. He engaged the Word of God. Scripture tells us that the words of Jesus were the words of God the Father. He said one day, the words that I speak are the words of God. And he even said one day, the things I do, I do because I see the Father doing them. How, where does he get that vision? Where does he get that insight? It is in moments that he can get apart from the crowd. He can get apart and practice such things as solitude, praying, resting, engaging the Scripture, mentoring, doing miracles, and sharing amazing wisdom. Spiritual practices lead to understanding, to peace. Spiritual practices, what they do is they create a space. You intentionally create a space, a time where you and God are going to commune together, where you and God are going to hang out together. In one of my favorite songs, he says, I will hang around until you come and sit a while with me, O God. There are many, many spiritual practices. Zacchaeus, for example, in our text, did a hospitality practice. And he did a practice of a party, his kind of party. Remember, he wasn't too much of a disciple yet. So this party was not a Christian party in any way, shape, or form. It was not a Jewish party in any way, shape, or form. It was a worldly, fleshly party in every sense of the word because that's what he knew. Yet Jesus was in that party, and we know this because people, some of his disciples went in the house with Zacchaeus, and some didn't go in. Hmm, I think Peter was one of those that didn't go in. He was too good of a Jew to, to defile himself to go into this traitor's home. And while he's outside of the house looking, but they, they didn't go in, but guess what? They were looking through the window. Give me a break. 
You don't go in, but then you look through the windows, kind of like, I want to be there, but I don't want to be there. I will not be there. But you're there. In any way, you're there. Right? Whether you're in one side of the wall or the other, you're there. And, and the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious people who are, are, are with the disciples outside, they, they, they tell the, uh, the, the, the disciples outside, uh, uh, look at your master, look at your rabbi, look at your teacher. He's hanging out at Winston's, I, I mean, at the grill, I mean, at, at, with his sinners. He's hanging out with people whom he should not hang out. Another gospel tells us that Jesus, knowing and listening to their voice, replied and said, I have not come for those who think they are okay. I have come for those who know they are in need. The old King James Version poetically translated it wrongly like, I have not come for those who are well. Who's well? Really? I have come for those who are sick. I'm one of them. Who he has come from. Thank you. So Jesus did these practices on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and it afforded him the idea of being in communion with God. He created the space away from the crowd. He created the space away from his disciples. He may have done some gardening. He may have done some baking. He was in silence. I'm going to mention a spiritual practice here that some of you will be offended at. And you know what the spiritual practice is? Brewing. Yeah, not coffee. Goodness, think about the monks way back then. Uh, we don't do it now. <laughs> but for the monks back then, that was a spiritual practice. The same way they did the bread, the pretzel, who looks like hands that are praying. They kept praying while they were brewing and baking. That's where the pretzel came from. So these spiritual practices that were done way back then are good also today for our soul. There were many of these spiritual practices I've mentioned. Early in the Middle Ages, that's where I get to the point. Early in the Middle Ages, in some of these monastic communities, labyrinths began to appear. And a labyrinth is a prayer path, a tool, a mere tool to allow us to focus, to detach from the world and to encounter spirituality with God. Later in the Middle Ages, around the year 900, 800, 900, we find bigger cathedrals being built in Europe. And long and behold, the one to your left bottom is one of the oldest labyrinths built within a cathedral in Chartres, France. It's a classic labyrinth, Christian labyrinth. Again, a labyrinth is just a tool that allows you to walk, to meander, to go through the twists and turns of life, praying. It's like life itself. That's why I call it life is like a labyrinth. You never know what the next bend has around the corner, right? I used to grow up, I grew up in the beach in the Caribbean, and I used to go to the beach and just find the next point where I couldn't see beyond. And my goal was to walk to that point and see what's beyond. 
and it happened to me there was another little cove at another point that I couldn't see beyond. And I would walk to that one, and by that time, if I had a cell phone, I would have called my parents to pick me up, but I have to walk back. But you walk and you pray. You garden and you pray. You sit quietly and you pray. You listen. You are disconnected from worries. Disconnected from, again, it's just a tool. Austell Presbyterian has one in their gardens. And what we do in that space is we experience a pilgrimage. Actually, the labyrinth became kind of the substitute for the pilgrimage to Holy Land. In the Middle Ages, there was the custom for Europeans to go to the, middle, to, to, the, to the Holy Land and see the sites where Jesus lived and practiced and spoke, died and resurrected. Uh, does that still happen today? Have any of you gone into one of those pilgrimages to the Holy Land through a tour? Excellent. You see, people do that even to these days. But for those of us who can't afford to go all the way with it, in the Middle Ages particularly, walking the labyrinth was a spiritual journey, was a pilgrimage of sort to encounter God. You know what? In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a labyrinth here downstairs in our hall. And we would love for you to practice this experience. You see, because spiritual experiences, spiritual formation leads to understanding, leads to greater insight, leads to a greater connection with God. Forget the labyrinth now. Why are you here this hour? What do we do in this hour? That's one of the things we do. We call it a worship hour, but we're also, you know, misusing the word because worship is our entire life. So one of the things we do is we worship, and that one, let's define as the moment of singing. So we sing. We express our soul, our passions with God and one another. That's a spiritual practice. So we do it here on Sunday. What else do we do on Sunday that may be considered a spiritual practice? We fellowship. We have this space of greeting one another. We don't do it like your old grandma's church. Remember your old grandma's church? It was just... That was it. And then you rush to sit down because we have to go to lunch. So we fellowship. We serve one another. We come here to pray, to read to listen. We have moments of silence. So basically, the hour that you spent here, the hour, five minutes, today maybe, that you're going to spend here is a microcosm of a variety of spiritual practices that you should continue to practice at home. This week, I heard that we are bombarded with an average of 600 to 750 advertisings a week that tell you that you need to buy this product or that product, this medication, eat this food, go to this place or spend this money to get this clothing in order to be happy. 750 times a week in the average, you're bombarded with that message. Happiness through consumption. We do it. We fall for it. I need the next good-looking shirt. I know, me. 
Not over twelve, fifteen dollars. You know, I isn't cheaper, but <laughs> but we do that. And how many hours a week do we make a space? Do we separate ourselves to fellowship, to hang out, to dwell, to listen, to speak with God? That's what we do every week. We practice the discipline so that you can get encouraged and not wait until next week. Oh, that was a good service and I hope next week. No. Make it at home. Make it happen. Make that space. Go to the park. I sit in logs that are above ground so I make sure there's nothing under that's going to snipe me. Work out that spirituality. It's not going to come out watching TV. It's not going to develop one hour a week. It's going to happen as you bring spiritual disciplines into your daily life. Zacchaeus modeled by practice of hospitality. He practiced also, what was his other thing? Restitution. Those two disciplines. He practiced hospitality and restitution in his home when Jesus was there. And what did he gain? Salvation and eternal life. As we come to the table this morning, what is your expectation? Why even be here doing this if it doesn't have any meaning besides the fact? Why come to the table? Are you expecting God to speak to you this morning? Maybe God has already. Are you expecting to meet the Lord in a special presence in the elements of bread and wine? What is that all about? Spiritual practices lead to no understanding, no insights, Answers, purposes, guides, they help and comfort us on the way as we tarry through the journey. Listen, that you're invited to the table. Not only are we invited to the table, but I make it a point that we get up and come to the table. Right? Now, if you're not able to, I'll, we'll go with the elements to you and that's fine. That's not an issue with that. But sitting down and expecting the elements to come to you had a purpose in our customs. It had a purpose, and it pointed to unity. It pointed to uniformity also. But in many places, it has become a sense of entitlement that you have to serve me. Mm. We hear it. I think it's good to come to the table. I think it's good to get up and physically get up and move towards the table as you're invited and come to the table. The psalmist knew how good it was to journey. The psalmist knew how good it was to walk through the fields. The psalmist knew how good it was to have fellowship with God. And he writes in this wonderful 84.5 that Kenny read for us, what joy for those for those whose strength comes from the Lord. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their mind in pilgrimage, in a journey to meet God. Amen.